Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We are in week four of a series going through the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter was written by the Apostle Peter to these churches in a very persecuted area of the Roman Empire during a time period that was not easy to be a Christian. If you read the whole book of 1 Peter, you could read all five chapters in about 15 minutes, but we're taking six weeks to walk through it together. We believe that as we study God's Word, that He shapes us, we can look a little bit more like Jesus and allow His character to guide the character of our hearts. We are taking a break next week. We'll have missionary guests with us next week, but then we'll have two more weeks after that to help us walk through. Um, You may not know this about me, but for five years of my life, I was a volunteer high school choir teacher. So I was a full-time worship pastor in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And while we were there, there was a high school that many of our students went to, and it was a very rural school, but it was just about five minutes away from the church. And once I had known some of the students who went to that school, and once I had met some of the faculty from that school, I learned that they did not have the budget for a vocal music program. And so for five years, I volunteered as their high school choir director. And I loved it. It was a really, really special experience in my life. If I can brag on some of my former students, um, three of them now are full-time music educators. One of them works on Broadway shows in New York City. And three of them are now uh, worship leaders at their churches. Uh, The one I saw most recently, was in Dallas, Texas last September, and he just turned 30. He already owns a million dollars of real estate in Dallas. He's super smart, but when he was 16, he was an idiot. So we're going to call him Josh. And so uh, Josh had some issues. He was very uh, proud of himself for lots of reasons. And uh, what I would notice in class is that he would mostly pay attention to what I did, but we also had a faculty sponsor, which was an older lady who had been uh, on the school staff for many years. And what I noticed is that Josh would listen when I asked him to do something, but when this other lady asked him to do something, he would rarely or never uh, listen to her. And And so I was watching this behavior happen over several weeks of rehearsals, and so at some point I stopped him after, after class and said, hey, can we talk? And I said, hey, I've, I've noticed this behavior. I see that you respect what I say, but you're not respecting what she says. You know, Josh, I, I think you have a problem with authority. And without missing a beat, he looked back at me and he said, no, I only have a problem with authority when I disagree with it. And I said, Josh, I think you have a problem with authority. I think the conversation that I had with Josh that night is the conversation that Peter wants to have with us tonight. So tonight we're going to have a conversation about holy submission and about holy authority, godly submission and godly authority. And I want to warn you that it's not necessarily going to be fun because this is, we're going to get into some kind of some hot topic issues. If you think about the beginning of the letter, you're like, hey, it's so good to see you. We miss you. You're beautiful. And then somewhere in the middle, you get to the point where you go, we need to talk about some stuff. That's kind of the spot where we're going to reach tonight. Let's open our Bibles or scroll in our Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll read the first four verses of our text tonight, verse 13 through 17. Peter says this, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free. 
yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an, as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Can we pray as we get started into God's word tonight? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the community of believers you've given to us in this room. We thank you for your presence during worship. And we pray that you would just guide us, guide us, allow your word to come to life to us tonight. I pray that you would challenge each one of us that are in this room in our thinking and our feeling that we might praise you. I pray that you would give us that strength, give us Christ's mind tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I'm going to warn you, this is not an easy passage to get through. Peter's going to talk about godly submission and godly authority, and he's going to do it by focusing on three examples. Here they are. We're going to talk about citizens and government, slaves and masters, husbands and wives. So each one of these examples are hot-button issues. It's like going over to grandma's house to show her, her your new tattoo. Like, this conversation may not go well. It's going to get a little sticky. Part of the challenge is context. So Peter's government is not the same as the government that you live in. The story of slavery in the Roman Empire is very different than the story of slavery in America. Marriage in 22 AD is very different than marriage in 2022 AD. And we need these examples because it's through these examples that we're going to find the principles that Peter is trying to teach us, the timeless principles about godly submission and godly authority. One of my goals in life together is to each, help each one of us learn to read our Bible in context. So we are going to talk about each one of these examples, but I want to make sure tonight we don't get stuck on the examples, but we push through the examples to get to the principles. Because the principles are the timeless truth that Peter's trying to tell us here about godly submission and godly authority. So let's talk about the first example, and the first one here is citizens and government. So here are three words to help us understand what the government was like during Peter's time, during the Roman Empire. The first word I'm going to give you is oligarchy. So you've probably heard this word recently. They'll talk about the Russian oligarchy, right? So the, the word literally means uh, led by few. So the Roman Empire would be led by a very small group of people. Whether you were born into power or friends with someone in power, a very small group of people makes all of the decisions for a very large nation. The second word I'm going to use here is autocracy. So this means that the person at the top has no accountability. So all of the Axis powers in World War II, like Germany and Japan and Italy, they all would have been autocracies. Even on the Allied side in World War II, like Stalin with Russia, would also have been an autocracy, where the person at the top has no accountability. They can do whatever they want. The third word is theocracy. So this is where the supreme leader also claims to be a supreme being. They are either chosen by God or they even claim to be a god. And so many of the Caesars during Peter's time claim to be a child of God, a son of God. And so by then, they're not just saying, I have all the earthly power. They're also saying, I have divine power. So for you to question my leadership is also for you to question God himself. And by then, making themselves even more powerful. This is the type of government that Peter was living under. It was a oppressive government. It was a government that was persecuting Christians. And into this context, Peter says, we'll read it again, respect everyone and love the family of believers, fear God and respect the king. Which king? Nero, right? So, so the guy that was hunting them down the one who wanted to see every Christian dead, respect that guy. 
So what's, what's the principle here? Fear God and respect authority. You know, we don't have a king, so respect the president. You know, we have, um, <laughs> we have a, a neighbor a few houses down from us, and it's been a, a topic that we've had to work through with our kids, and they have a, a giant sign in their front yard that just has two words on it and just says, Biden sucks. And we've had to explain to our kids <laughs> that this is not how we're going to treat our president. That if God has put someone in authority, whether they are a godly authority or an ungodly authority, we are called to respect the king. And I think in that principle here, that it's not just the king, it's not one person, it's all of the people, it's all of the principles have been placed over us. So our challenge as Christian people is respect your senators, respect your school board officials. Kelly Ganeer, good to see you tonight in life together. Respect road signs, respect tax laws, homeowners associations, <laughs> even when you disagree, even when you perceive these authorities as inherently evil, even if their authority starts, this authority starts hunting down Christians to kill them, even when respect authority, but do not fear authority, fear God. So Peter's guidance that he gives us here is perfectly in line with what Jesus says in Matthew 22. Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. If you are an American, respect American authority. If you are an employee of Northwestern Mutual, respect Northwestern Mutual authority. If you are an American, all of your money has a nice dead white guy on it that belongs to someone else because that's the person's face that's on that. Your soul has God's fingerprint on your soul. Your face is created in the image of God. You are created in the image of God. God's stamp is on you. You belong to God. The stuff belongs to someone else. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give God what belongs to God. Respect the king and fear God. Let him be the one that we tremble before. Let him be the one that is our first desire to please and to honor. Let's respect the king, and let's fear God. Let's talk about the second example. The second example is slaves and masters. You know, slavery in the Roman Empire was very different. It wasn't any more or less terrible than our story of slavery in America, but it was different. Roman citizens believed that their reward for conquering new lands was that the Roman citizens would have a higher and higher standard of living, and they would have to do less and less things. So in Roman culture, a Roman citizen would be able to have a slave or a house servant to do every task. It wasn't just manual labor. There were teachers and doctors and bankers who were slaves or servants, that every job in their society could be filled by someone so that this Roman citizen didn't have to do that work. At the time of Peter, this number is crazy, at the time of Peter, they estimate there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Just to compare, at the height of America's slavery, there were 3.5 million slaves in America. So in the Roman Empire, 60 million slaves and then put that number against what was only 5 million Roman citizens. There is a really powerful quote that was written by Aristotle, who was alive during this time, and he wrote a description of how slaves were treated during the Roman Empire, and this is what he said. It's heartbreaking. He says, There can be no friendship nor justice towards inanimate things. 
indeed not even towards a horse or an ox, nor yet towards a slave as a slave. For master and slave have nothing in common. A slave is a living tool, just as a tool is an inanimate slave. Can you imagine what it felt like to live in that culture, what it felt like to be treated that way, what it felt like to live under that kind of oppression. But it is into this culture that Peter says, this is verse 18 and 19. Think about who he's talking to when he says this. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. This is, this, is not, this is not easy to read. This is not easy to digest. You know, I think when we think of uh, American history, we think of some of the great emancipators like Abraham Lincoln. We think of Martin Luther King, of these people who led oppressed people towards freedom. And there certainly is great reward in all of that. God loves every one of his creation. God loves to see the equal treatment of every single one of his creation. So how is it that Peter's able to talk to a mammoth population of slaves and challenge them to be good slaves? This is a tough subject. I honestly don't have the time to really dive all the way into this. I think the best way to get started with it, though, is to allow Peter to explain himself. So in verse 21, Peter says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. So Peter says, I know this isn't the life that you wanted. I know that you are in a life that is filled with suffering. But when you are suffering, when you are in a broken place, I want you to turn yourself and look to a broken cross. I want you to look at your Savior. I want you to remember. I want you to meditate on what he did. In the last few verses of chapter 2, he walks us through the crucifixion one more, pointing people who are in a place of suffering towards the suffering of Christ. And what does he say? He says, Jesus did not retaliate. Jesus didn't threaten revenge. And through his suffering, Jesus personally carried our sins. By his wounds, you were healed. Two weeks from tonight, Mandy's going to continue our series with a talk about our theology of suffering. And that, that talk really does begin or is introduced right here in these verses. God called you to do good even if it means suffering. Speaking of suffering, let's talk about husbands and wives. That was a joke. It's okay. <laughs> Two weeks from now, me and Mandy are celebrating our 17th anniversary. Mandy says it feels like just 17 minutes underwater. So <laughs> husband and wives are our third example, but I think you figured this out by now. So l let's double check. Did the example of citizen go and governments only apply to citizens of the Roman Empire? No, no, right. So we were able to look at that and learn things that even though we don't have the same government that they had, that still apply to us as Americans today. Example number two, did that only apply to people who are slaves? No, no. It really is a conversation about suffering. And anyone who has, is experiencing suffering in their life right now, that we can still learn from that. So is the conversation about husbands and wives only going to have principles for husbands and wives? No, 
No, we're, we're looking, we're using these examples, but we're not getting stuck on the examples. We're looking for the principles that God wants to reveal to us tonight for godly submission and godly authority. Let's read the first two verses of 1 Peter chapter 3. And he begins like this, in the same way. So which way? The same way. So is this a separated thought or a connected thought? This is a connected thought. He says, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Let's talk about marriage in ancient Rome. And this really would have been true of all of the Jewish culture of this time as well. You know, each household during this time had one religion. There might be many gods, but to join the household by marriage or to be a child of the household or a slave of the household meant to accept the religion of the household. And so when someone was, was married, this is what was going to happen because a child or a woman or a slave did not have the freedom to choose who or what they worshiped. This is one of the reasons that is such a radical idea when Jesus starts talking to so many women. When Jesus is in a, has women disciples. In the early church, there are women evangelists and women deacons. And this was so revolutionary because Jesus is giving freedom to women that they did not have previously. And so what happens? Well, what happens is many churches then have female believers who are married to husband unbelievers. And they didn't know what to do with this. They didn't know how to operate. And the women were asking, well, then should we divorce them? Can I live in a house with a statue to another god? Can I eat food that's been sacrificed to a false god? So, so listen what, to what Peter says into this culture. In verses 3 through 5, he says, Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. I know that we have some amazing people at this church who are married to people who do not believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life. We have women who are married to husbands who don't believe. We have men who are married to wives who don't believe. We have parents who have children who don't believe. We have children who have parents or grandparents who don't believe. I believe that the principle that's being taught here is taught to everyone in the room who has someone that you care about, that you love, who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. This counsel to all of us is this. Don't yell them down. Don't cut them out of your life. If there is a pathway to live in peace, live in peace. Now, I always want to make sure that I say this clearly. God does not want anyone to be living in an abusive home or an abusive relationship. If you're someone in this room and you are in an unsafe home, will you please reach out for help? Come talk to me. Come talk to Mandy. God does not want anyone to be in physical danger in an abusive home. But if there is a pathway to live in peace, Peter says, live in peace. Don't cut them out of your life. Allow the testimony of your life to bring light to the people that you care the most about, to the people who are in your life who've yet to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, and let your godly lives speak without words. 
The final piece to our talk today is a conversation about godly authority. So Peter uses the examples of husbands in a Christian marriage. The husband is the head of the household, leading with godly authority. I believe that many or most of us hold authority in some way in our lives. If you're a parent, you have authority. If you're a manager, a teacher, a coach, you have authority. And many of us in the room have authority based on our age or our experiences or our testimony. And so as we listen to P Peter's advice towards husbands, I want to think in a broader context to anyone in this room who has authority or leadership in someone's life. Let's listen to how he coaches someone into godly authority. Verses 7 through 9 says this, In the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted, and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. I want, to clue to, I want to conclude today by sharing with you the four, the four levels of authority. So this is an adaption from a book by Max Lucado, but I think it can help us today to pursue the godly authority that Peter wants to coach each one of us in. I think each one of us might have these little spots or large spots in our life where God has given you authority. And if you read through this description that Peter is teaching us, he's teaching us how to lead with godly authority. So I want to share with you these four levels of godly authority. The first one here is, we're going to just use the one word, rules. So people follow you because they have to. It's about rules. I have a gorgeous uh, nine-year-old daughter, and occasionally she thinks she's 14. And so there's times where I have said the words, Paisley, it's time to go to bed. And I hear one word, fine. <laughs> In that moment, I am operating at the lowest level of authority. She is following me only because she has to. Only because the rules state that a daughter has to listen to a dad. I am operating at the lowest level of authority. She does not want to, but she's going to only because it's the rule. We don't want to stay in this place. If you are a teacher and people only respect you because you have the name teacher and the job teacher, you're always going to be fighting things because people don't actually want to be following you. They just have to. The next level up, we're going to use the one word called relationships. This is where people follow you because they want to. I had a fun day yesterday. Uh, we have a couple new team members that are kind of in my area of creative arts and communications. We had a fun uh, long meeting during uh, the morning together, and so we hit noon, and I say, hey, everybody, let's go to Chick-fil-A. It's on me. Let's go. So the whole room goes, yes, okay, this is leadership. This is leading by relationship, and which is really fun because everyone feels really connected. They're like, Pastor Dan's a great guy. He's about to buy me lunch. Let's go do this. And so I've, I've upgraded, but now I've hit the relationship level where people are following because they want to, which is great. It's great to have someone who wants to follow you. Someone once said that great leadership was to find out where everyone's going to go and then tell them to go there. And so if everyone wants to follow you, this is great. It's a step up from where we were at. But it's not a great place to stay at. Why? Because what happens when they don't want to? What happens when you give a directive that they don't want to follow? 
they're going to bail on you. Let's move up another level. Level number three, we're going to use the one word, which is results. So people follow you because of what you've accomplished. It's about the results. In my first two years that I was here at the church, I kind of revamped the way that we run our fine arts program. Fine arts is a program for uh, middle school and high school students to help them develop their ministry gifts, but it's also a competition program where they can go and compete at the district and state level. And I started doing things differently. I uh, took a little bit more of an authoritative role where I would choose students and put them into groups rather than allowing students to choose their own groups. So it's the method that I wanted to use. And so we did this. I had a group of students um, who then made it all the way to you know the top 10 in the nation. And I had a parent who then at nationals came over to me and said, hey, Pastor Dan, I need to apologize because I was really mad back six months ago when you didn't let my student do what they wanted to do but now that I've seen the results, now I understand and I trust you and this is great. So it was, it was a, it's a great compliment, right, for you to see someone in your life that you go, well, they're the owner. They really know what they're doing. We're, we're going to trust them because I've seen the results. You know, they're a great parent. I'm going to follow what they're saying because I can see the results of what they're able to do. And it's a level up. It's a great place to be at, but it's not the place you want to stay at. Why? Because if the results don't go good, what's going to happen they're going to bail, right? So if things hadn't have gone as well, well, then you'd still be dealing with someone who is angry with you. They'd still be walking out on the relationship, the company, the authority relationship because the results weren't there. Where we want to go to is level four. Level four, we're going to use the one word that is respect. This is where people are following you because of who you are, that their respect for you, their decision to follow your authority is solely based on the content of your heart. This is where you have someone in your life that you say, I know that their motivations, I know that they are a mature Christ follower. I see the maturity in their life. And even when I don't understand, I'm still going to follow them. Even when I don't want to, I'm going to follow them. Even when I don't see the results, I'm going to follow them. This is the kind of leadership that Peter's describing here. That when God has given you authority, if you would lead like Christ led, Husbands, if you will love your wives like Christ loved the church. Those who are in leadership, if you will love the people under you the way that Christ loved us, then you will find yourself in the place of authority that God has designed you to be. We would be leading with godly authority. Peter wraps up this section by quoting Psalm 34. So I'm reading from 1 Peter chapter 3, but this is a quote directly that he pulls from Psalm 34 to kind of encapsulate this type of living. I think God wants each one of us tonight to live in godly submission and to pursue godly authority. Every single one of us are someone who is under authority, and that does not always feel great. But if we seek after the character of Christ, the example of Christ, to do good even if it means suffering, to fear God and yet respect authority, to find ways to honor him in every corner of our life. He will bless us. We will look more like his son and be able to then lead in authority in the way that God would have us to. Let's read Peter's quote of Psalms 34. He says this, If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. 
but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Let's pray tonight. Father, we give you praise in this place tonight. We ask that you would be speaking to each one of us. Holy Spirit, give us wisdom. I want to pray specifically first for anyone in this room who has a family member who is an unbeliever, for someone who is either in that place of spiritual curiosity or a place of being very closed off to spiritual things, but anyone who's not accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, I pray, Lord, that you would give wisdom and strength to those who are living with or those who have a close, loving relationship with an unbeliever. I pray that you would give them wisdom. I pray that you would give them a fervent heart to demonstrate love in a challenging place. I pray for everyone in this room who's under authority. I pray for those who are in difficult situations with bosses or spouses or uh, a government authority, money issues, anyone who has power over us, Lord. I pray that you would allow us to live as you would have us to live. I pray that you would help us to choose paths of humility. I pray that you would teach us how to do good even if it means suffering. And I want to pray for every leader in the room. You've called each one of us in our own ways to be in authority. And I pray, Lord, that we would never hold that power egregiously over someone, that we would never use authority as a weapon. But I pray, Lord, that we would use authority as a tool to influence this world with your light. I pray that you would teach us how to lead with godly authority. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to rise up in the opportunities you've given to each one of us. You would be someone who would open doors for righteous people. I pray, Lord, that you would be our guide. Allow us to lead as we follow you. We thank you for this night. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all the good things you've given to each one of us. And we pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, that you would just encourage each one of our hearts. Allow the things we've touched on tonight to continue just to meditate in our hearts and teach us your word. Adjust our character as we follow after you, that we would please you and that it would bless you and your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.